the only thing more dangerous than a person intentionally doing wrong is a person mistakenly thinking he is doing right. Hello and welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes and I'll be your host here today. I just got back from camp. If you're following me online, you would have seen that I shared and posted about this, that this June we had two batches of our annual summer youth camp. This is the first time we're doing it again after three years of the pandemic lockdowns and it was really good. It was really good to get to see familiar faces as well as get to know some that I met for the first time. And it's for, it's for high school students, it's for college students. We only did two batches for this year because we're starting again. There used to be way more for the entire Mega Manila region. But it is a good start. And I want to thank those who are praying with us, praying for us. I know that a lot of you have been doing that, have been supporting the work of our ministry in different ways. And so I want to take this opportunity to thank you and to ask for your continued prayers as we seek to continue to minister to these young people after camp. Siyempre, mahalaga dyan is yung ongoing involvement, ongoing growth with the community and with Christ, of course, which is the point of all of these things. This July naman, July 22 to be exact, we are having Brighter Conference. This is our youth conference, which we also have not done in a while. This is the first time we're doing it again. And I will include information in the description so that you could check it out and see for yourself if you are a young person, someone in high school and college, feel free to join us. Check it out. If you know someone who might want to join something like this, feel free to check it out. It would be really good to get to see you there. I will be there as one of the speakers and as one of the servants. It's going to be a good time. Again, Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for praying for us. And thank you for those who give. We have what we call mission partners who support us, the missionaries, the youth missionaries of the feast who help make happen all of these efforts, all of these things that we're doing for the ministry. I would like to thank you. And we have specifically those who give and donate to this podcast to make sure that this show continues. As you might see, this takes a lot of effort time and resources and I want to continue to make it better for you, reach more people as we're seeking together how to view the world as followers of Christ. If you are one of those givers, sponsors, partners, you make what I do here, what we do in the ministry as a whole possible with your giving. And so, thank you. If you are not one of those yet, I would like to invite you, if you are being called to this, feel free to check the links in the description of this episode for some ways to give to the podcast, or feel free to message me on Instagram so that we could talk further about however it is God is calling you to be further involved. Now, on to our topic for today. The title of this episode is David and That Other Giant. 
which giant am I talking about? Am I talking about Goliath? Because a lot of us are familiar with the story of David and Goliath, right? Well, no. I'm talking about someone else. And in this episode, we are going to read a lot of scripture and we're going to talk about the dangers of conformity and about how what God values can often be different from what the world values. I already mentioned David and Goliath, so we might as well start there. David and Goliath is the story that we find in the Old Testament of when a man named David confronted a big guy named Goliath. There was this battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. And they, instead of fighting with all of their soldiers, the Philistines proposed that maybe we could just choose one champion to represent either sides. And they chose Goliath, who was this big man who was well-armed. And then on the side of the Israelites, there was this little guy named David who volunteered. And the thing about David is he wasn't even supposed to be there. He was just bringing lunch for his brothers. He wasn't even a soldier. He was a shepherd boy. And yet, when he was allowed to fight on Israel's behalf, he won the battle against Goliath and won the victory for the Israelites. We are not going to talk about that giant. And before we proceed, I also would like to clarify that this David who fought Goliath is also the same David who became king, the same David who wrote a lot of the Psalms, the same David who committed adultery with Bathsheba and also murdered her husband. So yun David and Goliath, King David, David of the Psalms, David and Bathsheba, it's all the same guy. All the same guy. I felt the need to clarify that because when I was younger, I would read these different stories in isolation. And it wasn't until later on when I realized that, oh, so it's the same guy in different parts of his life. Yes. And we are going to start this at an earlier part of his life. You see, before David became king, there was this previous ruler named Saul. Question, was Saul a good king? Well, he was promising, but he was unfaithful to the Lord and disobedient. We'll talk more about that later. At a certain point of his rule, the Lord sends the prophet Samuel. Okay, let's clear out the name so that we don't get confused. Saul was the previous king. Samuel is the prophet called by God. So the Lord sends the prophet Samuel to find and anoint the new king to be because the king of that time, Saul, was a bad king. And this king-to-be, we will learn, is David. But he didn't know that yet. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you continue to mourn for Saul? For I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse in Bethlehem. I have seen a king for myself among his sons. Now, Samuel is going to go to the house of Jesse to find and anoint this new king or king-to-be. And he was sent to Bethlehem. That sounds like an important place. That sounds like a familiar place. What we see is he had to go undercover. Because the current king is still here and there he goes trying to find and anoint the new king. It can easily be perceived as a threat to the power of the current king. Diba? Kaya he needed to hide. And so we read onward in verses 4 and 5. 
Samuel did what the Lord had said. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the city came out to him trembling with fear. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel answered, Yes, in peace I have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he purified Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. Siyempre, since he was undercover, he needed the cover story. And the, the cover story that he used is that they were doing a sacrifice, giving a sacrifice to the Lord. But Samuel, of course, had his eyes peeled for this next king that God wanted him to select and anoint. Next verses, 6 and 7. When they arrived, he looked at Eliab and said, Surely his anointed one stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or how tall he stands, for the Lord has rejected him. He does not see the way that men see, for men look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So immediately, Samuel sees one of the sons. He is impressed by how he looks, and the Lord corrects him immediately. Do not consider his appearance or how tall he is. God does not see the way men see. He looks at the heart. This is a very important detail. After this, two more of Jesse's sons pass in front of Samuel, and the text says that the Lord has not chosen them either. These three sons were specifically mentioned, but all in all, there were seven sons who did not pass the Lord's standards for who could be chosen as the next king. And we were told why. Again, he does not see the way that men see. Why is this important? Because what we value, like what we said in the start, what we value isn't always aligned with what God values. Part of the problem that we observe in this passage, that we can observe until today, is that what we see as good is not always what is truly good. This has been the problem since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve. Remember, what did the serpent tell them? The serpent asked the question, did God really say that this is bad for you? Did God really say that? The serpent was making them question God's intention, God's definition of what is right and wrong. Which means that it is possible that we can see something as good, we can see something as right and be wrong about it. We can mistakenly perceive as right something that is truly wrong. People often say that discernment is not about choosing between a good thing and a bad thing because the answer to that is easy. You choose the good. Discernment, rather, is about choosing between two good things. And I agree with that. I think that's right. But I would like to add something, a slight modification of sorts, because I also believe that discernment can be choosing between two good things, but part of discernment is to identify whether a thing that looks good really is good. Just because something looks good to us, that doesn't mean that it is good for us and for those around us for that matter. For example, diba? ice cream. Ice cream looks good, especially if you're six years old. <laughs> but ice cream is a dessert, not a meal. And so, even if it seems good, we have to say no to six-year-olds if they demand ice cream for lunch, even if they get mad at us, even if they think that we're punishing them when we're not. 
It's just that we know better what is good. They think that ice cream is good for them because it tastes good, but we know that it's not what is good for them as a meal. Now, think about that as an analogy. Sometimes we can act like six-year-olds before the Lord. We want things that we think are good for us when He knows better and He can tell na, wait lang, is that really good for you? Is that really something that will give you nutrition, that will help you grow? We act like six-year-olds. He tells us no, and we throw a tantrum. Nagbawala tayo. Nagre-rebelde tayo. Nagtatampo tayo. That's why it's very important that the passage tells us, He does not see the way that men see. God saw something in David that Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, did not. At least not at the start. Let's read onward in verses 11 to 13. Samuel asked Jesse, Are these all of the children? He said, There is still the youngest. He is watching the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send for him and fetch him. He will not sit down until he has arrived. And so he sent for and brought him. He was ruddy with a fine and handsome appearance. The Lord said, Rise up and anoint him, for he is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day onward, and Samuel then returned to Ramah. Here we are introduced to David, whom, like we mentioned, became king. But you see, David wasn't even invited initially to the sacrifice. Where was he? He was outside, working with the sheep. He was the youngest. But he was the one that God chose. Now, granted, he's still handsome, so it's not like he has a bad appearance. And not just because we say that, that, that people focus on the outward appearance and God looks at the heart doesn't mean that pangit sila or something like that, right? But he is the one that God chose, even though he wasn't even invited to be part of what was happening inside. He wasn't even part of the initial options. God saw something in him and he was chosen for it. Now, let's contrast this with how Saul, the current ruler, the bad king, was selected to become king. Eight chapters before this, in chapter 8, 1 Samuel 8 verses 1 to 5, this is what we read. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. The name of the older was Joel, and the name of the younger was Abijah. And they were judges at Beersheba. The sons did not walk in his ways. They sought dishonest gains, took bribes, and perverted justice. All of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are now old, and your sons are not following in your path. Appoint a king over us, just like all the other nations have. What we see here is that there is a necessity for proper leadership because the sons of Samuel were not upright. And so the Israelites were asking that they might have a king. But the problem was their reasoning. They said, appoint the king over us just like all the other nations have. Remember, God does not see the way that people see. And so Samuel disagrees. He thinks it's a bad idea. He tells the Lord about it. And the Lord tells him, they have rejected me because the Lord was supposed to be their king. And then he commands Samuel to give these people a warning. In verse 9, it says, So grant their request, but warn them solemnly and inform them what the king who reigns over them will do. 
And then after this, Samuel goes on to talk about all of the things that this human king will have the authority to do over them. He said, you will take your sons and turn them into soldiers, farmers, blacksmiths, and warriors. You will take your daughters and make them work and cook and bake. You will take the best of your fields, vineyards, and olive groves. He will consume your resources. He will tax you. There's a description of a king that is very tyrant-like. Basically, what is being said here is you want a king to become like the other nations? Then you will get a king who is like that of the other nations. Because this was how the other nations worked. And Israel, what did they say? They said, oh, sure. Sure. Naively, they said, sure. In verses 19 and 20, it says, But the people refused to listen to Samuel. They said, no, we want a king over us. Then we will be like every other nation, with a king to lead us and to go out before us to fight in our battles. They wanted to become like all the other nations when God called them to become set apart. That was the problem. Where do we see this kind of thing in our lives today? We see this in the form of peer pressure. Now, here's the thing. I want to clarify this. Peer pressure can be good or bad. It depends on who your peers are. Cultural pressure can be good or bad. It depends on what kind of culture you are in. But one thing is for sure. Trying to fit in just for the sake of fitting in is often not good for you. It either leads to bad results or it leads to good results pursued for the wrong reasons. While preparing for this, I'm reminded of that line in the first Men in Black movie. So the Men in Black, they're the alien police, right? They're secret, a secret organization that is meant to keep the existence of aliens um, unknown to the regular person. And then Will Smith, Agent J, asks Tommy Lee Jones, Agent K, why they keep the existence of aliens a secret. He says, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. And it's very interesting how Tommy Lee Jones, who was the mentor figure, responds. At any given time, there are around 1,500 aliens on the planet, most of them right here in Manhattan. And most of them are decent enough. They're just trying to make a living. Cab drivers. Uh, not as many as you'd think. Humans, for the most part, don't have a clue. They don't want one or need one either. They're happy. They think they have a good bead on things. Well, why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. You know that this is true if you know someone in high school. <laughs> Maybe you don't even have to look far. You could just look at how you acted when you were in high school. Because when I was in high school, I almost got kicked out of my school. I did a lot of things that got me in trouble. And I can say that most of those things were done because I wanted to look cool in front of my peers. Now, the motivational thing to say about this would be something along the lines of stop caring about what other people think. Think of yourself, your own value, your own truth, and so on and so forth. But I don't think that's realistic. Rather, I would like to introduce a slight modification again. Of course, you should care about what other people think, especially if you care about them. But, you should not let them control you. That is different. That's different. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, so that you will be able to discern the will of God and to know what is good and acceptable and perfect. My professor in moral theology puts it this way, Conformity is doing what everybody else is doing, regardless of what is right. Morality is doing what is right, regardless of what everybody else is doing. Again, Israel was supposed to be holy. They were supposed to be set apart. They were supposed to reveal God's love and identity to the nations by living in such a manner that is in contrast with how they were living. Their neighbors, the Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Babylonians, they were doing all sorts of things that were not just. They were giving wrong sacrifices. They were committing injustice in terms of their how, how they live as a society, in terms of their sexual ethic, in terms of their practices, their rituals. Israel was supposed to live in such a manner that they will shine their light, God's light rather, to these other nations and call them back to repentance. But instead, it was them who wanted to become like their neighboring nations. Bale, baliktad, sila yung nahawa instead of sila yung nanghawa. Kasi sila yung tinawag ni Lord eh. So always be careful to mind your influences. Sige, let's proceed. Pay attention to how the Israelites selected Saul in contrast to how God selected David. Let's start with Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. There was a certain man from Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacorath, the son of Aphia. He was a man of high standing in Benjamin. He had a son whose name was Saul. He was a handsome young man, and there was no one in Israel who was more handsome than he. He was also a head taller than everyone else. Notice all of the physical appearance descriptions. Handsome, young, no one in Israel more handsome than he. Oh, and yes, he is also very tall. Taller than anyone else. That's Saul. Now here's David. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Do not consider his appearance or how tall he stands, for the Lord has rejected him. This was what was spoken before David was selected, referring to the other brother. The Lord has rejected him. It's not about how good-looking he is. It's not about how tall he is. Pero si Saul, di ba? And, and to, put it, to put it a different way, ang pogi-pogi niya at ang tangkad ba? He was impressive. He has good looks. He has a good reputation. But does he have a good heart? Parang pag naghahanap lang ng jowa, no? <laughs> and, uh, that's how it is, right? This is how it is. And I want to focus on a specific description where the passage tells us that he was a head taller than anyone else. Sobrang tangkad niya. Siya ang pinakamatangkad sa lahat. When the Bible gives you a specific detail, know that it matters. Especially if you find this specific detail in a pattern among different passages. What am I talking about? Sige, let's get to it. Saul was tall. Taller than anyone else. Compared to his peers and colleagues, he was like a giant. He was tall. Hmm. Where else do we see big people in this part of the Bible? We don't need to look far. 
We just have to ask, when is the next time in this story, other than Saul, where we encounter a really tall guy? Going back to David, right after he was anointed by Samuel, where does God send him? He was sent by God to confront a giant named Goliath. This happens in chapter 17, the chapter right after David's anointing. And so you have this king, Saul, who was selected to be king because he was really good-looking and he was really tall. And then David was selected right after Saul because Saul was being a bad king. And then what does David do right after he was selected? David confronts a really tall person, just like Saul. Are you following? In 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is where we find the description of Goliath. It says in verses 4 and 5, Then a champion named Goliath of Gath came forth out of the camp of the Philistines. He was six cubits in a span high, that's nearly ten feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore armor, a coat of mail weighing 5,000 shekels of bronze. Goliath is a really tall guy, just like Saul. And if you go back to the past, in the book of Numbers, before the people of Israel even entered the promised land, there's this story where they sent 12 scouts to see what is ahead. And what do they find? They find abundance in the land. What else do they find? They find enemies, and they were scared. How were these enemies described? They were described as really tall. In Numbers chapter 13, verses 31 to 33, But the men who had gone up with him said, We will not be able to go up against the people, for they are surely stronger than we are. Thus, they brought a negative report of the land which they had explored for the people of Israel, saying, The land which we went through to explore is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people we saw in it were immense. We saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, the Anak that came from the Nephilim, we felt as if we were only grasshoppers, and we seemed like that to them. These are the ancestors of David. They were afraid of their enemies, who were, like Goliath, really, really tall. They saw big people. They saw giants. Okay? And I want to clarify, this is not Jack and the Beanstalk type of giant na OA. Okay? This is not Attack on Titan. It's, they're not that big. But they were really tall and powerful. More like Shaquille O'Neal. Diba? Pag pinagtabi mo kami ni Shaquille O'Neal, I would be really small and Shaquille O'Neal would look like a giant. It's like that. The enemies of Israel were big and tall. Saul was big and tall. Is that a good sign? Hmm. More context, okay? More context. I hope you're still with me. In the stories of the pagan nations, okay? So, yung mga, ito yung mga neighbors nila, surrounding nations of Israel. Their kings, rulers, and mighty warriors are often identified as giants. Not always because of their size, although we can observe that too, but because of their spiritual significance. What do I mean by that? The idea of giants in ancient cultures are often connected to demigods. So, ang idea is that they are kind of like lesser gods. Sometimes half man, half god. These are these people are described as giants. So you have Gilgamesh, for example. You could search more about who he is. You might be familiar with him in your world history subjects. You have Nimrod, which you can find in Genesis chapter 10. He was a mighty warrior and very giant-like. 
you have the Egyptian pharaoh. Diba? The pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, is not just a ruler. He's not just a president. He is perceived to be divine, part God. You have the Babylonian king, also part God. You have the Roman king, the Caesar, also part God. You have the Persian king, diba? Kung napanood niyo na 300, he was part God. These warriors and rulers of the pagan nations were perceived as giants. The Israel, Israelites, wanted to become like the pagan nations. They wanted to become like everybody else. And so what does God do? God gave them a ruler that will lord it over them just like everybody else. He gave them a ruler who was like a giant. Basically, God grants their wish. This was what they wanted. He warned them, of course, of the consequences. He had Samuel tell them about all these things that the king would do. But they insisted anyway. And their reasoning was so that we could become like all the other nations. Lo and behold, Saul ends up becoming a bad king. And this is precisely why God raised David up and Samuel had to anoint him in secret. As it turns out, Goliath wasn't the only giant he had to defeat. He had to defeat the giant that was already among their people. There is so much more into this. I know I'm introducing a lot of concepts here, but to learn more about giants, I want to put in the description also a link to an episode of a podcast called Lord of Spirits. These are two Orthodox priests who talk about the spiritual world, and they have an episode dedicated for the giants in the Bible. It's quite deep and complex, but it might just be your cup of tea. And so I want to put that in the description so that you could learn more about these things if you are interested. For now, let's find out, okay? What is our takeaway, having talked about all of these things? Our takeaway is this. Tall people are bad people. <laughs> no, no. But no, we have... I want to offer three reflections to start with. First reflection. Let us strive to see as God sees. Let us strive to see as God sees. Again, in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or how tall he stands, for the Lord has rejected him. He does not see the way that people see. For people look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let's pray for the gift of wisdom to discern right from wrong, most especially the wrongs that seem right to our own eyes. The only thing more dangerous than a person intentionally doing wrong is a person mistakenly thinking he is doing right. Kasi ipaglalaban niya yun. And so, we must have the humility to listen to the Lord and to those that He sends our way. We must be open to the necessity of correction because we do not have it all figured out yet. That's very important. Let us strive to see as God sees. Tayo yung mag adjust hindi si Lord. We want to be aligned with what He defines as right. Not to justify what is wrong so that we wouldn't feel bad about it. Reflection number two. Mind your influences. 
What got Israel in trouble was that they wanted to be like all the other nations when they were called to be set apart from them. You will naturally, you and I, we will naturally want to fit in with the groups that we involve ourselves with. And by itself, that is not a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing, however, if you turn that into your primary mission. And in the process of trying to please others, you lose sight of your own identity, of your own God-given calling, and of your own values. Mind your influences. And the last reflection, the third reflection, is this. Allow the gospel to challenge you, even if it means going against the culture and values of the world. David, of course, was not the final king. He was not the perfect king for Israel or for humanity for that matter. There is someone else who came after in the New Testament. And this new king came from his line of descendants. This king was born in Bethlehem, the same place where David was anointed. And when there were these three magi, we also call them three kings, but the three magi, when they were looking for him, they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? This king, of course, is Jesus. But instead of a royal crown of gold or precious metals or stones, he receives a crown of thorns. He was a different kind of king. He's the kind of king who longs not to enslave us, but to set us free. He's the kind of king who bends down to wash the feet of his own followers. He doesn't boss them around. He serves them. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His exaltation, his enthronement, was not in a festive inaugural ceremony, but on a cross, an execution rack, outside of the temple. And he highlights this because he teaches about this to his followers. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 and 26, it says, Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones make their authority over them felt. This must not be so with you. Instead, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And that's exactly how he lives his life as king. This is a different sort of king, not like all of the other nations, not like what Israel wanted in the past generation. And like the Israelites, as subjects of this king, we today are meant to be the light among the other nations. And that takes godly wisdom. That takes growing in intimacy with Christ. And that takes continual repentance for us. Following Jesus is not easy. But this is how we are called to rule with Him, especially in the areas that we might not consider to be spiritual, like our workplace, our inner thoughts, our habits, even our politics. And to cap this entire episode into one question, I want to ask you this. How can I make Christ the king of my heart as I seek to follow him in this world.
That is all for our episode for today. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. Again, if you want to support the work that we're doing here, you can find links to that in the description or you could send me a DM on Instagram. Find more information on Brighter Conference if you are someone or if you know someone that you want to invite to that youth conference. And please, please do continue praying for me, praying for us as we continue this kind of work. Do share about what you think about what we talked about today. You could post about it on Instagram. Feel free to tag me and all of these things. And again, thank you very much for your presence and your support. And I'll see you in our next episode. Bye!